This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Thank you for listening to this Podcast One Sportsnet production, available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. If you like this show, check out The Big Podcast with Shaq. It's every Monday at Podcast One, and he's not just talking sports from wacky news stories to dumb entertainment rumors. Shaq is there making fun of it all. I actually was on it uh, about a month ago and had a really good time talking with him in a playoff preview. And you can check out The Big Podcast with Shaq at Podcast One and Apple Podcasts. Also remember to rate and review. Welcome to Real Jam Radio. I'm Daniel, your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. I had been wanting to talk to Sirat Sohi of SB Nation for a while, and we ended up recording this on last Thursday, but it got superseded by the episode I did with David Locke on the Western Conference Finals because that was more time sensitive than this one was. So the biggest thing that happened between when Sirat and I recorded was that Dwayne Casey actually got fired. It looked a little bit ominous when we recorded, so we talked about it a little bit as if it were going to happen, but now, of course, it actually has. And really enjoyed the episode. We also talked about LeBron and Russell Westbrook and a lot of other really interesting topics. Not a surprise if you ever listened to my conversations with Sirat. And this episode is brought to you by our new sponsor, Bear Mattress. You can go to bearmattress.com using the promo code PODPOD100 for $100 off your new mattress, whatever size. BetDSI, you can go to betdsi.com. There, the promo code is RealGM, R-E-A-L-G-M, for up to $2,500 on your first deposit. Pretty awesome. Simple Contacts, this is a URL, simplecontacts.com slash RealGM for $30 off your contacts order. And then Hims. if you go to forhims, F-O-R-H-I-M-S.com slash real, you can get a trial month for $5 while supplies last. Conversation runs a little bit over an hour. Really enjoyed talking with her. I think you'll enjoy it too. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. We've been talking about doing this for a little while just as the playoffs are getting started and it, it the timing worked out pretty well because the Cavs Raptors series provided a lot of material in a number of different directions and I, I thought that your piece for SBN on kind of where the Raptors go from here was fascinating because it gets at this idea, which I actually, I, I deliberately wrote my offseason preview for the Raptors before I read your piece. I do that with, with people who whose opinions I care about because I don't want it to influence it. And really what it gets into for me is, is a question that is very thorny, which is defining success. Because you got into this with that great quote from, I believe it was Dwayne Casey, about how this was a closer sweep than the sweep last year. And kind of the broader scope question for me is, is is there any shame losing to LeBron James? You know, I think it depends the way that you lose. The Pacers just took LeBron to seven games, and I understand that that series was different, and I think the biggest difference was probably Cleveland's shooters. A, shooting a little bit better, even on their open shots. They didn't make their open shots in that first series. And also just getting freed up for everything. There were a lot of execution problems. Their plan was to shut down the shooters and kind of let LeBron have his. 
but nobody could get around a screen. So uh, really both ended up happening. And that's that's a larger problem to me is the failure as far as execution goes. If they were to lose to LeBron and play their best, first of all, I think it would have been a different series. But also, this is a team that never plays its best in the playoffs. So you just you get to a certain point where you don't know how to discern the randomness and the off nights from is this the psychic toll has a psychic toll of just being beat up so many different times in the playoffs and and not only by LeBron James uh, just gotten to them. And I think another element of that for the Raptors in these playoffs is that I thought they actually, not in a way that was concerning long-term, but I thought they also underperformed relative to their talent level against the Wizards. And Washington was really mm-hmm. disjointed. They did have a nice stretch. There's this theoretical, you know, the ceiling of John Wall, Bradley Beal, both good players, certainly, and they have a lot of support talent. But what concerned me about the Raptors in that series was that they didn't play like the team that had the talent advantage. And that is a big switch that has to go off. And a good example of that was that the Raptors were pushing pretty hard for offensive rebounds. And Mm -hmm. the only way Washington could score on Toronto in that series was in transition. And so they were exacerbating that position. And there is a switch that has to, to go off for a team when they do have that advantage because there are elements that you play differently and that certainly was different in the Cavs series because Cleveland and the history and everything else like that but I was wondering because we didn't talk about it all during the time did you see any of the same stuff that I did during that wizard series yeah yeah no definitely I think uh the transition was was definitely a big problem I think part of it was crushing the glass but it was also I mean I just think Demar is a bad defender in general but Demar in transition is just an unmitigated disaster. He, when he doesn't take the foul, at least, which he does entirely too often in ways that are frustrating to Raptors fans. It's like every every time there's a transition play, he's taking a foul, even though even if uh, the Raptors will have the advantage in the back. So yeah, I de- I definitely saw some of what you were seeing, and that series is a little bit. It, it feels like dog days almost. Like that feels like it was a long time ago. But yeah, I think it was that, and I think weird, weird matchup decisions too. Like for example, it was clear very early on that the best matchup for the Raptors defensively would be to put OG on and Obi on on Wall and uh, and Lowry on Beal. And I just couldn't, for the life of me, understand why they went away from that. They just completely changed it up for a certain instance. Like they put Siakam on it, which was which is cute. And I know everybody who really like Siakam and the idea of positionless basketball was was happy with that and he did a relatively good job but at the same time you kind of had this this almost foolproof scenario going on and they just they just went away from it it was also a precursor to what was so bizarre in the Cleveland series and it mm-hmm. relates again to OG Ananobi where OG is still figuring out a lot offensively and that mm-hmm. I, I'm sure was part of the reason why he went out in game three which was eternally frustrating but Casey, it felt like he didn't understand or didn't value. I don't I don't know which one of those is more fair. It's just a recognition question that I don't have access to. What Ananobi was doing so well in both of those series, defending one-on-one, 
and the Raptors mm-hmm. are, you know, their team defense, I think, has, was better this year, and, and they have better personnel, and they were playing harder, and all those all mm-hmm. those elements are in place. But there is an intense value in the playoffs to maybe not taking another team's chess piece off the board, but at least reducing its effectiveness. And Ananobi did a very good job of that on LeBron, and he did, uh, I thought he I was shocked at how well he did against John Wall. You brought that up. Mm-hmm. And... Maybe there's a threshold question, young guy. You know, while he isn't dealing, but we didn't with we didn't see it. Like I don't right, I, and that's exactly I, I what feel, I'm getting at. Is I understand what you're what you're getting at, and I also kind of want to give Casey the benefit of the doubt here because it seems like there's a good chance he's going to be fired. And for all that we're going to complain about in the next in the next few minutes or so, I still don't really think that he should be fired unless they have to bring everybody else back somehow. I think he did a great job this year and then had some had some pretty bad moments in the playoffs for sure but overall like I, th- I think he was pretty good but there were just things that were like, I mean you you saw really all of game two by the time that that was the one where LeBron just started raining jumpers and completely trolling the Raptors LeBron got hot against other guys and then by the time that OG was back on him in the fourth there was nothing he could do he was hitting faders on the other side going more towards his right like OG had a better grasp of where to force LeBron, but at that point it didn't matter. But prior to that, he just did a better job than anybody else of cutting him off, of actually defending him at the rim, making him go through somebody, even preventing him from making that initial drive. He is is about the exact same parameters as LeBron. He's obviously not as strong but everything else is kind of kind of about the same and you know you could really see that he he was able to to hold him off in appreciable ways he was taking a lot more fadeaways and a lot of the times it was really frustrating to watch because i think the advanced stats kind of bear out that og didn't make too much of a difference but the problem was that og would be on one on one against lebron lebron's jab stepped and feeling him out and you don't really know what he's going to do. I, 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 I wouldn't want to say that, you know, LeBron was, sh- was shying away from the drive or anything like that. But at the same time, OG would be kind of moving step by step with him, doing a good job. And then all of a sudden, some action on the other side, these Kevin Love, Kyle Lowry screens that the Raptors could, just couldn't, for the life of them, d- decide to figure out for the entire series. I mean, Kevin Love just was a nightmare matchup uh, throughout the entire series. They just free up on one of those, and then all LeBron has to do is be the best passer of his generation. And all of the work that OG does goes to waste because he's he's playing uh, largely those minutes were playing playing with the starters who are worse defensively than a lot of the other guys that uh, that were on with other LeBron defenders like Siakam. I agree with you completely, and I think that sometimes the... I I know that people have been trying, and it's so hard. There are a lot of different ways that people have been trying to quantify defense. And going with, you know, let's say offensive rating or defensive (coughs) rating when a player is on the floor, you know, that's something... It's a data point. I don't think it's necessarily the greatest one because of some of the Mm -hmm. context in terms of who is on the floor and who is not on the floor. But with Ananobi, for me, in both series... What I think is so important to consider, and part of this is also just watching both those series as intently as I did, is the difference between field goal percentage or offensive rating and shot quality. So LeBron, Mm -hmm. to me, against OG... I don't know what his field goal percentages were, you know, with him or without him, but I am confident that having watched, you know, every possession of the the competitive possession of those games, that the quality of the shot and how hard James had to work to get that shot 
was substantial, like the difficulty was higher. Mm-hmm. And that's really all you can do. The expectation, right. the expectation against LeBron or any high end offensive player should never be, oh, make that guy shoot one for 10 from the field. It should be make every shot as hard as it can and deal with it as they may. Right, right. And it's it's especially interesting because the Raptors came into the series, and there were a lot of questions about whether they thought LeBron would be tired because he had to play seven games, and the Raptors uh, only had to play six. They got about three days of rest, which is, well, that's kind of ideal. You know, it's like the... It's the exact amount of rest that I think you would probably want if you're the Raptors. Um, but, you know, that appropriate is nothing, really. They were asked if he was tired, and they talked about, they didn't say in specific what they, specifically what they were going to be doing, but they said that they wanted to tire LeBron out, and they were going to find ways to tire him out. And I think if you just kept OG on him a little bit longer, like you said, make him work for it, those are the things that will wear him down. By the end of the game, maybe he's not making these crazy runners and these fadeaways all over you and finding shooters easily because he just doesn't maybe have that energy. And, I, you know, again, maybe that's that's a, that could be a bad bet to say that LeBron's going to get tired. I think usually you don't really see him get tired until June, especially with just the way that he he's been playing we're seeing a very special playoffs from LeBron for for my guy who's you know he's prone to deliver special playoffs he's really he's really taking it to another level but you still have to make your heart for him and he didn't really do that too much on the offensive end either there wasn't like you know up until really the second half of games in the fourth quarter LeBron was not really working defensively because I think I mean I think the Cavs a lot of the times they were playing with the lead now so I think they felt like they could kind of just turn it on and, uh, and and beat the Raptors. And the Raptors just had no attrition. And I think they sensed that very early. Yeah, LeBron not working on defense is something that I noticed but never really thought about in terms of the Raptors making him work. But it is a good point. It's just not a way I framed that series in my head, but it's true. Mm-hmm. And that is certainly something that Cleveland <laughs> has done. I think the best example of this is actually against the Warriors, where they just try to run Steph through a bunch of stuff defensively, try mm-hmm. to make him expend energy. And it's not surprising that the same kind of an idea would work well against LeBron. The challenge of that comes in with the difference between a point guard and a forward, whichever, however we want to define LeBron's defensive position, which is mm-hmm. in the air a little bit. But it is true that Toronto, by virtue partially of their offense and by virtue of just of you know the way that the, the personnel that they have, they didn't force him to really battle through that. And I thought a lot of different Cavs, especially JR, did a pretty good job on DeMar, about as well as, as you could expect. Mm-hmm. And so that kind of gets into the question of, of where we started with this, of defining success and where do you go from here? And you, you mentioned the idea of, of firing Casey. I actually, broadly speaking, do not support that idea. The reason being that I think the Raptors in the regular season have done a wonderful job of maximizing or at least getting a lot out of their personnel. And maybe another coach, maybe even a coach on their staff getting elevated. I never know how to apportion credit within a staff for those elements. Mm -hmm. But what I can say is that the young players on the Raptors have really grown a lot over their time. And it for me, the, the the rotational issues certainly didn't help, and they were frustrating, and I think that's part of the reason that the series against the Wizards went six instead of five, and why Cleveland went four instead of five or six. But I go the other way, and Nate and I argued about this on, on Dunked On, and I was surprised that we were on the sides we were, but what I basically what my argument was is that 
I don't think this iteration of the Raptors can be a whole lot more than what they were in this season as a whole. So they were phenomenally successful, second best team in terms of record, second best team in terms of point differential in the regular season, mm-hmm. losing in the second round, you know, and, and losing in the second round, maybe if it had been different matchups, they could have lost in the conference finals to the Cavs, you know, similar, similar circumstances, mm-hmm. different ordering. And so the reason why I wouldn't fire Casey, assuming all the, you know, we're apportioning credit and all that in the way we are, is because I think I'm just a little bit more negative on where Toronto could be. And I don't think mm-hmm. he's holding, I think that he's giving them more than he's holding back. I totally agree with you there. I think, you know, it's not so much about the second round as much as it is a 4-0 sweep to the exact same team after an entire year. I mean, we're 365 days, 366 today, actually. They, the Raptors had their exit interviews yesterday. And 365 days before yesterday, Messiah Ajiri took the podium and said, we need a culture reset. And they ended up with the exact same result. I don't think that you can look at the facts of that situation and say that it's anything more than the talent just being maximized out. This is who they are. They've seen themselves in multiple iterations now. They haven't been their best of the playoffs. They've never been their best of the playoffs. Something just happened. They worked an entire year to get away from it. You can't, like, I, I hear the stuff about chalking it up to randomness, his tippins that didn't go in, or LeBron hitting a ridiculous shot. No, that's not the point. Like, LeBron, if he didn't beat them then, he would have beat them later, and the Raptors would have found a way to lose. I don't like just ascribing things to, like, your chokiness or an inevitability to a result, but I think we've just seen this movie so many times. That said, though, I think the idea of keeping Casey is so much easier said in a vacuum where you understand what your talent looks like next year. I don't know how this team can come back and be the same as it was. I think they're going to regress because I just don't think you can you can try that hard and come away with the same result and continue that effort. This team was maximizing who it could be, and I don't think they're going to have any motivation to maximize. So I think if they come back with the same roster, there's definitely, I definitely get the sense, you know, I, I, I shy away from saying any, anything decorative, but I definitely get the sense that they have, at least the, the older players a little bit, have gotten to a point where Casey is a little bit tuned out. And I think if it wasn't this bad this year, after everything that happened this year, and this uh, in this playoffs, it will uh, probably get worse to a point where it, it might actually be noticeable. It just you run out of time sometimes with uh, with certain people. You just can't. You, you just sometimes need a fresh start. And I think if if the Raptors knew what their off season would look like, if they could find a deal for Lowry. Maybe I don't know. You hear like Lowry for Wiggins is like the thing that you're hearing more often and often is like a floated possibility. And I think there's negatives and positives to that that we can maybe get into later. But I think if you if you know that you can make a decision like that, then I think the answer is different. And then you look at, okay, this bench mob really bought into what Casey and the coaching staff were saying. They were they were 100% in. They were working really hard. They're, they're really close. And Casey's a great coach who has had a good developmental track. A guy, like if you look at a guy like DeMar, who really respects Casey and, you know, even what wasn't exactly, you know, advocating for him to stay credited Casey for making him the player that he was a couple of days ago after the playoffs were over when he was asked about basically what, about Casey's job status. So if you if you look at it that way, you're going to say you're, you're going to have this youth movement and you have all these guys who already are bought into Casey, then I think it's it's a different story. The problem is that the NBA doesn't exist in a vacuum and the coaching market opens up before free agency does. And these are kind of 
these are marginal assets the Raptors have. They just don't know what what it's going to look like. And I also think that if you if you do get rid of Casey, I think that it just gives them more leverage on the trade market. You'd be like, okay, we already kind of made our move this offseason. So if you don't want to trade with us, that's fine. We'll just run it back and we'll see what, what happens next year when some of these contracts are actually expiring. So I think if the Raptors do decide that they're going to make a change just on the basis of pure logistics, like they're probably going to have to get get rid of Casey. That's an interesting way of thinking about it, and there certainly is validity to it. A uh, question that I have with the Raptors is they got this you know massive success from the bench lineup. The, the group of Wright, Van Vliet, Siakam, Pirtle, and C.J. Miles was actually the league's second most effective lineup in terms of net rating. I think it was over 300 minutes. It might have been over 400 this year. Remarkable. And what I've been trying to piece together with the Raptors for this whole year, because I'm trying to look, you know, short-term, long-term at the same time, that's one of the challenges of this business. What I was thinking about with it was, okay, what if that group of five can ratchet it up to be maybe not the same player, but to be a starting caliber player on a team, not necessarily with DeMar with Kyle Lowry or anything like that, because that's not necessarily the way you think about it. But I was just trying to think, okay, who on this team is starter or is mm-hmm. starter starter caliber? And I think that I like a lot of the guys, you know, like I think Siakam can eventually be a, like a mm-hmm. low end starter. I think he could fit in Pirtle, depending on, on where his defense goes from here. And then mm-hmm. Van Vliet is in this weird range. Nate and I have talked about this before of like 25 to 40 for point guards where it's like they can start, but maybe they shouldn't start, but they mm-hmm. but they can be valuable. And that all fits in with the idea of the offseason too, because it's a lot easier to trade a player when you think you have a replacement in-house than mm-hmm. it is to trade somebody, especially if you think you're going to be good. And, the, and right. as, as Ujiri brought up in the postgame, like, they're not going to tank. Like, first of all, it's organizationally they're not going to, but second of all, they're too good to do that. They, they right. couldn't tear it down if they wanted to. Mm-hmm. And, so, and they're too young also. Right. I mean, they, right. have, they don't have that guy, but they have a bunch of guys that are they're going to develop and I, I think it, it, it would suit them to be in a winning situation and and improve within it right and and the, the, the difference between that and let's say the phoenix suns where right. the suns you can't evaluate basically any of their players because the rest of it is so awful that you can't be like well what is this mm-hmm. player on a winning team because they're not a winning team they're not even close to it so it's a it's a different kind of evaluation and so that isn't necessarily indicative of where you go mm-hmm with it because it's also always depends on what the market is you know like sure mm-hmm. i would argue that the most desirable like the the guy who makes the least sense on this version of the raptors is ibaka just because i think he's the most easily replaced and because casey mm-hmm. wasn't using him as a small ball five anyway so it's like okay you're not losing which was also interesting which is also interesting and so you're so you're losing a smaller benefit and, and mm-hmm. doing that but that requires another team either wanting Serge Ibaka or having the right piece where maybe they don't want him that much, but it's, you know, maybe it's a, uh, an inferior player who makes less money, something like that. Mm-hmm. And they're so dependent, as as all these teams are, on, on how Toronto's own assets are evaluated. You brought up Lowry for Wiggins, and I mean, I am lower on Wiggins than damn near everybody in our profession. So, but, but it might be that Minnesota, the same team that gave him that max offer sheet last year, says, hey, he's young. He can get a lot better. We don't know exactly where we're going with it. Maybe we'd rather have, it, we'd rather have him than Lowry. And I'm so fascinated not only to see what Toronto's thinking, and we're never going to get perfect information here, but I'm so excited to see 
how the rest of the league interprets Toronto finishing first in the East, being not only the best record, but being the best team in the Eastern Conference during the regular season, but having all these guys that are on, you know, either reasonable contracts or maybe a little bit rich contracts to see who they think of as a value. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think I would start by saying that, and maybe this is me being too close to the situation, if the Raptors could get off surge for almost anything, I think they'd have to take it. There's also the issue of, I mean, I don't really, I don't think this, uh, this organization has too much interest in pl- paying the luxury tax for a team that just got swept out of the playoffs, so I think that might be a consideration. The Lowry thing is the most interesting to me, and it kind of goes back to what you were saying about being able to trade a guy when you feel that you can replace him. You know, DeLon and, and Fred both are probably marginal starters. They're young they're probably not as young as people think they are because of because they both spent a lot of time in college. Fred is 24. I think DeLon might even be 25. Yeah, so, I mean, there's there's upside there, but they're, they're not really as young as they seem. But at the same time, I think the combination of DeLon and Fred and also just the fact that they're kind of foils for each other on a specific night, DeLon will make more sense than Fred. and just, Like, they're just completely opposite players that I think that combination, you can look at it and say, okay, that's enough. If we want to trade Lowry, we're not too worried about it because we have two pretty good point guards. It also allows them to extend Fred Van Vliet without having and not have a whole bunch of money on their on their cap at the point guard spot as well. So I think just as far as balancing out the cap sheet, it would also make sense. Then I think when you, the most interesting to me is actually, is actually Amar because I can't, I can't really get a good gauge on what his trade value is. And I think I think he'll stay just because I think he's going to be more valuable to the Raptors than he will be to, to any other organization. But it's kind of like he's just kind of just one tier below a lot of these guys that got traded in the past offseason. So it's it's an interesting thing to, to try to discern. Yeah. And there are so few teams that have cap space this year that it would be irrational for the Raptors to expect to get out of those contracts, mm-hmm. even if they were seen as positive, but could do something. And they also don't have their pick this year either, so right, it's not they, like they're... Yeah, so they don't really have much in the way of sweeteners other than their young players, and I don't think they really want to use those to unload salary. So maybe right. they, they I could... I think at a certain yeah. point you do have to start thinking about it just because you're not going to pay all of them. Right. So you well, know, yeah, and you, just... so you maybe if you if you've already decided Delon Wright, talented player, but just we don't want to pay him what he's going to get offered in restricted free agency, then maybe it's better to move on somebody a little bit earlier than a little bit late. We've seen that around the league the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. So it could go in, in that direction. But where the Raptors could open up some real opportunities is with teams that are capped out but have a little bit of flexibility relative to the luxury tax. And the challenge there is, broadly speaking, that the Raptors are going to downgrade if they go in, go in that route. Like, let's say this is a more extreme example, but, like, let's say, theoretically, the Wizards wanted, you know, they they wanted Ibaka because they don't, mm-hmm. they don't trust their other centers. And so, sure, Toronto would probably rather that deal involve Gortat because even though Gortat and Valanciunas had the series and Valanciunas completely outplayed him, Gortat is expiring this year. But let's say Mahinmi's in the deal. Mahinmi makes $15 million a year. You know, mm-hmm. I think with sweeteners and all that kind of stuff, maybe you can get somewhere with that. And so that would save the Raptors $6 million. It would get closer to the tax. And so Masai would have to decide, is that worth it? You know, is is that is saving $6 million or $7 million enough to justify it? But what's good for the Raptors is that if they're willing to engage in that area, maybe not that specific trade, but if they're willing to engage in that area, 
there is a lot of opportunity because there are mm-hmm. teams looking to make those kinds of moves, even if there are not teams saying, hey, we'll take on Kyle Lowry because we love him and it's basically like a free mm-hmm. signing. And that could work for them if they're willing to do it. Yeah, I think so. And I think uh, well, it'll be telling to see if if they go down that route because I think it's going to tell us a lot about how MLSE feels about the Raptors and how much they want to pay to keep them uh, keep them going. And, I, you know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be very informative. Right now it's like, a, you know, I think we can talk about the Raptors' moves for forever because... I mean, really, they could go any possible direction. That's what I think I've been talking talking with a lot of people about. Is could you really? And I have my feelings about like they should probably retool, try to get a little bit younger, and just try to make the playoffs and see see if they can kind of luck into finding a guy or a pick that turns all of their young guys guys into an actual package like that. And that definitely requires some luck, and I think they would kind of have to finesse it a little bit. But like, I also I also trust Masai to be able to to win marginal moves like that. But you know, there's very I would have a hard time really ragging on any roster or personnel decision. What is your instinct in terms of whether any player on these Raptors is truly off the table in terms of being in terms of a move? Would would they listen to offers on Damar or Lowry? I think so. I, I think so. I don't think anybody here is uh off the table. I think it just you know, the proof is in their playoff performances. Like we just kinda saw that as talented as those two guys are, they're just not that next level of, of star that makes them untradeable. And I think DeMar has a special relationship with the franchise, and I think, you know, there might be some some blowback if he were traded. But I also think there's a fan base that's seen this movie enough times, and they're kind of, they're starting to get over the whole, like, we're Toronto and nobody ever likes us and they're like you know certainly a great deal of complaining about their media coverage this year but i think that that sense of being like the girl that nobody wanted to go to the prom with is sort of trickling away they're realizing okay this is actually pretty marquee we're getting to be a marquee organization it's trying to build its talent their player development their drafting has been been pretty much on point for for the past few years, Toronto's a great city. NBA players love it. It's becoming like an underrated, you know. Like Matt Matt Moore will always say, "LA nightlife is undefeated." It's like I think some of the reasons that the Raptors got a lot of their big home wins this year was, uh, well, I mean, the Houston Rockets stopped by for for a couple of days and they decided that they were. Uh, they were going to enjoy all Toronto had to offer. And I think, I mean, the Cavs had like two parties while they were here. So I think uh, it's part partially that's the growth of the city itself. It's just becoming, it's more well-known in the cultural lexicon. Of course, there's there's Drake and there's a whole bunch of, but like he's kind of the headliner and a bunch of artists that are coming out of Toronto. And like, it's just, it's becoming a cooler place. And I think that's that would probably ease the blow of, of trading a guy like DeMar. Yeah, it, it certainly is is an interesting question, and it gets into what would happen theoretically if Toronto, like when all these contracts wash away, if they have cap space, I think that mm-hmm. the, the landscape would be very different for them in terms of free agents. Plenty more with Sirit Sohi in a bit, but I want to take a moment to tell you about our new sponsor, Bear Mattress. And sleep is an incredibly important part of your day. As somebody who doesn't sleep enough, I can attest to that personally. And a great way to get a better sleep is 
through a high-quality mattress. And so Bear Mattress uses eco-friendly materials and was developed with insights from sleep experts, professional athletes, and engineers. And it creates both a super comfortable and supportive sleep. Both of those are incredibly important. And for those of you who really temperature is important, and a lot of people are like that with sleep, Bear Mattresses sleep up to seven times cooler than regular foam mattresses. And they use scientifically proven technology called Cellient to help relieve tired muscles, improve sleep quality, and boost athletic performance. You can check them out at bearmattress.com. That's B-E-A-R mattress.com. And if you use the pod 100 pod and then the number 100 promo code you get a hundred dollars off your new mattress whatever size you want to get so check it out they are made in the usa free shipping right to your door they have over five thousand five-star reviews from verified purchasers were named the cool sleep mattress by men's journal so you can check it out www.bearmattress.com promo code pod 100 pod 100 for $100 off your mattress purchase. Also want to tell you about our friends at BetDSI. As you know, May is a fantastic month for sports. It's only halfway through at this point, and that's because it has the NBA playoffs, NHL playoffs are going strong as well. Baseball is in full swing at this point. Also, a lot of other special events. The Kentucky Derby is already well well past us, but a lot going on, and BetDSI is a great way to enjoy that more. And they have great customer service, fast, easy payment of winning. As those of you who participate in this know, that is a great building block to have for any service. And they get hundreds of wagering options on all of these events. You can play virtually any sport at BetDSI. They also have in-game wagering on all NBA playoff games and other major sporting events, which is awesome. and helps keep you engaged. If you think you have a read on where something is going, you can check it out. So go to BetDSI.com, B-E-T-D-S-I.com, and use the promo code REALGM here at All Time on the Show, R-E-A. ALGM, and you can get up to $2,500 free on your first deposit. Pretty awesome. BetDSI has been in business for over 20 years, top rated in their safe. So you can check it out, betdsi.com, promo code REALGM for up to $2,500 free on your first deposit. BetDSI, play, win, and get paid. Let's transition into the guy who ripped their hearts out over the last over the last couple of weeks, LeBron James and I thought you were going to say DeMar DeRozan. No, <laughs> no, I think he more just stood there and watched as LeBron ripped the heart out. I think that's more more of what happened. But LeBron, the narratives on him are, are overwrought to this point just because he has been around such a long time, and the conversations that are still left are very esoteric. You know, like mm-hmm. whether where he is in the all time, like those are arguments that have no that have no winner, that have no real resolution. Mm -hmm. But what I find fascinating about the whole circumstance now is how much changed between Game 7 in Indiana versus now. Because I don't know if it affected his decision-making at all. But, I mean, to me, it would have been pretty much untenable. If if they had lost that game, there would have been no plausible way for LeBron to come back. He's going to, you know, be somewhere else, whatever whatever comes from that. Mm -hmm. That still could end up being, being the case. And I don't think that game would have like hurt his legacy very much at all. But now they're in the driver's seat. You know, the the Celtics mm-hmm. are talented and they've played above my expectations to be sure. But you know, now Cleveland has a shot to make it to the finals again. And I wonder just kind of where this is going. And I we, I, I brought this up with the Raptors in terms of defining success. I genuinely have no idea 
what LeBron wants now. Because if mm-hmm. what he wants are championships, that's going to be very hard to come by because, mm-hmm. especially if he's not willing to take less money, because the teams at the top of the list are really, really, really good, unless he facilitates it by opting in or something like that. And I've just become fascinated with the idea of, okay, we appreciate LeBron for what he is right now, but for the third consecutive time that he's a free agent, I just have no idea what he wants and where he's going to go. Yeah, I mean, hey, if you if you do find out what LeBron wants, I think you can become a very, very rich man. Uh, I think you're right. He's kind of in this weird spot now because of how... Uh how much Houston has progressed. I think probably the the best case scenario would be for Houston to make the finals because I think they're a little bit more beatable than the Warriors and then just seeing if LeBron can can pull it off. But I would also I also have to add that I don't think you you can consider the Cavs a shoe in for the finals when they have the when the when the Celtics have the best player in the series and Brad Stevens. So we have to kind of tread carefully there you never know what's gonna happen could uh you just you just never know what he can draw up and you know just really neutralize the best player in uh in the history of basketball so i'm really excited to to see what he does there but i'm a little bit sad that my sigh was muted but it was i mean (laughs) it's it's so challenging and this happens all the time in sports when somebody pits two things that you like against each other (laughs) but that's really what's happening with all of the the brad stevens hyperbole that's going on because he is a wonderful coach i picked him as my coach of the year i think that he deserves the award he didn't win the coaches one for whatever reason i don't care that doesn't matter Mm -hmm. to me at all but I mean, he didn't even get a vote in that one, which yeah, kind of just tells just you how weird. good of a coach he is, actually. <laughs> it, tell, it tells you he's not a, as good at politicking, at, at the bare minimum. But the fundamental thing is, I mean, talent wins, and coaches can make a huge difference. I covered the Golden State Warriors under three coaches mm-hmm. that all coached Stephen Curry before Steve Kerr. And the, actually, the one before before Kerr who appreciated what Curry was going to be most was actually his first coach, John Nelson, but Nelson was just done by that point, so they couldn't do mm-hmm. a lot of what ended up coming down the pike. So I appreciate like, how a star, especially a unique star, can be undermined by a coach, but it is exceedingly hard to elevate an under-talented team. And I mean, there's the it's just mm-hmm. so it's so hard to do that. And so I get into this point where it's like, yes, of course you take a superstar over Brad Stevens, but Brad Stevens is great. And so I, I get into that conflict. And actually, that's an interesting an interesting question in terms of what LeBron wants is not only where he wants to live, but is there a, a factor in terms of, you know, circumstance? Like, I, I know that basically, or I don't know, but I have a reasonable expectation that just about any team would, would be willing to defer to him if he said like if he's if he tells the lakers i will sign with you but i want this person as coach as long as it's not like a member of his family or his production team i think Mm -hmm. they would say fine but it's possible as it is in so many of these cases that that's something he cares about but is not the priority but who knows maybe he's like i want to play for pop before pop decides that he doesn't want to coach anymore or something like that or you know i i d'antoni or or whatever he's going to go with Mm -hmm. and so and with lebron I've been wrong twice, and so I had instinct. I had the idea that he might go to Cleveland. I didn't expect it to turn as, as quickly as it did in making the finals the first year. But I, I'm so interested because he is has a, a an interesting idea and has a better sense of what is good for him. Because there are a lot of players who I'm not as interested in in their decision making process mm-hmm. because I think they're just going to be irrational. 
And so with him, it's just taking all these inputs. I mean, I did this a lot with Durant back when, mm-hmm. back in that one. And so it's like, okay, well, well, what does he want? What does he want to do? And it, it actually ties in with why I like sports so much, because it feels like even the more information you have, it doesn't make you certain of anything. There's still, you know, a team can hit a buzzer beater and mm-hmm. we, we, we mm-hmm. still don't know. I, I'm very excited about it. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, well, I think it's really interesting to examine the decision making of guys like that because really the march more choices that they have or is like you know a lot of guys are going to the free agency they don't have like the world isn't their oyster they're either gonna sign with a team that has their bird rights because of the money or they're gonna go to like the one or two other teams that that have the space and are really going after them i think uh, even for you know a guy like gordon hayward like that's you know he had some options but it was very much like okay do when i go to this team you're always honored you want a little bit of a change i think when you Look at a guy like LeBron, you see the plethora of options that he has. The decision shines so much more light onto who he is and what he wants. And also, we're, we're just far more interested in what LeBron wants and who he is than we are with, uh, with even, you know, the next, the next guy up. So, you know, I'm, I'm very interested to see what will happen. It's always, it's always, it's always crazy. LeBron can, like, kind of, you know, you look back at the Cleveland move, and it's like, okay, like, yeah, he, he he wants to get that one championship and just bring the story full circle, and it's just it's just about that. But then, like you said, they go to the finals their first year, and it happens so fast that then you're kind of thinking, like, okay, like he maybe he had this whole thing mapped out already, like he already kind of knew that he could he could do both, and I that's kind of what I'm going to be looking for this time around. I think that obviously the talent is so much better now, but I'm just not going to if, if he kind of goes into one of those marginal basketball situations i think i'll be less likely to to assume that lebron is thinking about things other than basketball because i think he has a great deal of faith in his ability to win in a lot of situations right and i think that something that has become undersold in the lakers part of this is the idea that he has to play with all of the guys that are currently on their team oh right we already we already saw this movie we saw this movie you know the guy the guys (laughs) that he the guys that that lebron and the organization thought were were made sense around him they stayed and everyone else was gone and they Mm -hmm. they got other players that made more sense with lebron and that general idea works with or without paul george it works with or without chris paul you know they they can they can go in a lot of different directions and the other reason why lebron is so interesting is because he matters because Mm -hmm. at 33 years old he'll be 34 for most of next season lebron is still the best basketball player in the world and as long as he is the best basketball player in the world or close to it he swings a lot of different elements and of course is the personality and the fact that he has drawn players you know getting Chris Bosh away from Toronto getting Wade to take a little bit less to stay and everything that happened in Cleveland you know there the, he he makes the ripple effects that we speculate about with everybody else and I don't know where exactly where it goes with him. And also, I could absolutely see him, partially because he actually can make more money in 2018-19 this way. It's a really weird nuance that it happens to happen to work out in this fashion. But LeBron opting in and then manufacturing a trade like his friend Chris Paul did last summer actually oh, he's opens be 34, up. Right? Yeah, it actually opens oh, up yeah. more money for LeBron than it, in terms of that immediate season. It would uh-huh. complicate things long term, but it opens up more money to that. So it's like, okay, well, he's not sacrificing the same way that Paul George would be because Paul mm-hmm. George hit, be signed earlier and wasn't you know was younger and all that. Yeah, and so he, Paul George would be sacrificing a lot to do that. 
and LeBron would actually, I would argue, be sacrificing less than Chris Paul did because Chris Paul is more susceptible, it feels like at least at this moment, to aging and Chris Paul's uh-huh. injury history than LeBron. So I could see him opening that door and saying, I want to play this place and there's no way that they can sign me as a free agent, but there is this other way to make it happen. And uh-huh. some would say, oh, well, why would Cleveland facilitate that? And there's two things. One, the, te- the other team would have to make it worth it for Cleveland. And two, they did that in 2010 when LeBron left. Mm-hmm. They had and one things made, were much worse. They had made all these pronun- pronouncements mm-hmm. about, oh, we're not, we're not going to facilitate anything. And then it made LeBron a little bit more money, but it got them two first-run picks, which ended up actually being useful when they ended up getting him back. But they went along with it because teams have to do what is best for them. And once they once they realize mm-hmm. that he's off the board, then it goes into that. And so I'm not willing to foreclose on that possibility with him either. I pretty much am with Paul George because there's no good reason for him to. Mm-hmm. But in LeBron's case, there there are more complicated incentives on both sides of it. So yeah, if he wants to go to San Antonio, if he wants to go to, I don't know, Golden State, theoretically, it's not going to happen. But theoretically, if he wanted to. <laughs> Like those, yeah. I'm not willing to write off anything for LeBron because he, it's not wise to. No, you're absolutely right, and I think an, an interesting wrinkle into this is going to be like, when does LeBron start to get to the point of his career that he starts to feel like he doesn't want to take short-term deals anymore? I think that's going to be fascinating, and I think that's going to be that. That might be the only good time ever to start predicting his decline. It's like well, when he starts when he, he signs that four-year deal, and you're like, yeah, okay, yeah. well, you're the, be like, okay, all right. Here's the other idea: if it takes a little bit longer, my theory for a long time. So he's been pretty open about wanting to play with his son, LeBron James Jr. Right, and. I have more confidence in this than almost anything that I have confidence in, that LeBron will time his free agency to when his son will be draft eligible. And we don't know yet. We don't know how good his son's going to be. We don't know even what the age limit is going to be at that point, because they might have already Mm -hmm. moved to 18, which would move it up a year, which would be good for a couple different reasons. So I would be shocked if LeBron, even as much as the the money part of this, and, you know, he wants to to be a, a mogul, and part of being a mogul is having a bunch of money. I would be shocked if he foreclosed on that possibility. And then you get into the, what I think is the single craziest, but most glorious incentive confluence that is in the mm-hmm. game right now, which is, oh, if we draft LeBron James Jr., we can get LeBron James probably for the minimum. And so, yeah, it's probably <laughs> going to be Braun at, 20, like at 38, now, 39, though. something like yeah. that. But I, I just want to see that insanity of, like, how early would you draft LeBron? How much earlier beyond his, like, talent-only slot mm-hmm. would you draft LeBron's son? If, let's say, at that point, LeBron is an average starter. But, you know, like, let's say he's, like, late career, but not end of career Carl Malone at that point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, the, po- and the possibility. See, like, let's say, like, what if, I mean, we're talking about LeBron's son here. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, and player. LeBron, you could, you could theoretically not only get the box off to with Ken Griffey Sr. and Ken Griffey Jr., but also you get the possibility, I haven't run through the numbers yet, that that could tie up with LeBron going after the scoring record. I mean, so... All these other, like, he he sees these things in a different way than most other guys do, and I'm excited to see where that goes. Like, because I could see him signing, you know, with the Lakers and saying, yeah, you have to take a 1 plus 1 or a 2 plus 1 and take it on faith that, that this is going to work out, and that would be crazy, too. Yeah, that would, I mean, if anybody could pull it off. Yeah. 
Still more to talk about with Sirit Sohi, but I want to take a minute to tell you about our friends at Simple Contacts. Simple Contacts is awesome because it is a much more convenient way to either renew your contact lens prescription or reorder your brand of contacts if you have an unexpired prescription. So it's really impressive what I got to experience this if you need to renew it because you can take a five-minute vision test from your phone or your computer. I use my computer. It's reviewed by a licensed doctor. You get a renewed one-year prescription and you can reorder your contacts. It's really, really cool, super convenient. And one of the big challenges with with vision, I've had to regrettably to a point had to deal with vision challenges for a while is that it's really inconvenient. You know, you can do it from anywhere in minutes using this. You don't have to go in and see your doctor, but also it's great for, for cost concerns. The vision test is only $20 and that's so much cheaper than a doctor's visit, especially if you don't have insurance with with vision and their prices are awesome as well. So you're getting a discount on the vision check. You're also getting the contacts themselves at a great rate and you can check it out for yourself. Go to simplecontacts.com slash real GM, real GM, like the name of the company that does this show and you get $30 off your contacts. So it's a great offer. Can check it out. Simple Contacts is not a replacement for your periodic full eye health exam, but for checking your your vision, it is really impressive. I did it myself and the thoroughness when the, the doctor went through it was really, really impressive for me. You can try it for yourself. Simplecontacts.com slash real GM for $30 off your contacts. Simple Contacts, it's vision care simplified. I also want to tell you about Hims. Hims is an amazing solution to a regrettably common problem and that is hair loss. And sadly enough, two thirds of men start losing their hair by the age of 35. As somebody who is getting close to 35, not quite there yet, that is a very real concern for me. But what HIMSS is going for is a very identifiable idea, which is being ahead of the game is way better than trying to catch up. It is so much easier to keep the hair you have than to try to get it back. And so HIMSS is going after that idea. So it connects you with real doctors and medical grade solutions to treat hair loss. These are well-known generic equivalents to help you keep your hair, no waiting room, no doctor visits. And so what you do is you go to forhims.com, F-O-R-H-I-M-S.com slash real. This is a URL and it's slash real, just R-E-A-L. And you can get a trial month of hymns for just $5 while supplies last. If you go to that URL, it's awesome value. You can try it out for yourself. See if you like it. And again, proactivity, super great in this field, something that we don't think about enough. And if you're, if you're late on it, you will regret it. So go to forhims, F-O-R-H-I-M-S.com slash real for a trial month for just $5 while supplies last. Hims, a new wellness brand for men. So another thing I wanted to talk with you about, you and I have at various moments in time discussed Russell Westbrook and Oklahoma City somehow through circumstance, through in this case, Sam Presti doing a pretty amazing thing, getting Paul George. It seemed like Mm -hmm. out of nowhere, though now all of a sudden Victor Oladipo is an all-NBA player, so maybe it's not out of nowhere. Yeah, super awkward that Oladipo is kind of better than now. Yeah, I mean, well, I think it's more likely that Oladipo gets an all-NBA spot than George, which is pretty incredible. Yeah. But so Westbrook, there's this duality with him that I think is really hard to reconcile. So one part of it is that it does seem to me like if you were somebody who thought and believed that you were a great basketball player, it would be very hard to play with 
Russell Westbrook because the style that he plays makes it hard for other people, unless they're, you know, low usage offense and active on defense. It makes it hard for most of those guys to thrive, unless your name is Steven Adams. So you have that piece of it. Then the second piece that you have is Westbrook has been involved in a, a surprisingly large number of the high profile, especially if Paul George leaves, superstar changes of zip code. Not necessarily defections, because yeah. James Harden's, uh, n- neither one of those guys is quote unquote at fault for that. And so I'm sure there are people in this world that will say those two things are one and the same, that uh, guys don't want to play with Russell Westbrook. They keep leaving Russell Westbrook. Mm -hmm. I don't necessarily see it that way. I think that it's two parts that add a little bit to each other, but are mostly separate just because of the unique circumstances, and particularly of Durant's departure. Yeah, I mean, you know me. I would love to draw a clear narrative through line as this being the indictment of Russell Westbrook and all that he brings to the table. But I I, I think you're right, Especially, especially as far as Harden goes. I don't really think... You can go back and make that case just because we didn't know what Harden was going to be. And I think at that point in his career, it was fair for Westbrook to be trying whatever. He was young. He was still developing. And I, you know, and I understand that it was still, you know, it was a finals team. But still, like, you just, you, you look at that age. And also, Westbrook was never as egregious in his Westbrookiness when he played with Durant. I think that's kind of one of the wrinkles that is that is missing here, and I th- and I think that kind of makes it different because at the same time, like Kevin Durant was able to be an MVP playing next to Westbrook, Paul George, it's just a completely different story. Now, obviously, two totally different players as far as talent goes, but if you had made a player in a lab or last year before the trade said who is the ideal star to pair next to Westbrook where they would both both be able to thrive. I don't think you could have come up with a better answer than Paul George, a guy who really shouldn't shouldn't be taking too much of the, the playmaking load by himself, is kind of better with a head of steam, will come off screens and, and, and kill you and can be a mismatch nightmare from time to time, doesn't need the ball for the entire possession, plays amazing defense can run with Westbrook like that's I just I just don't know if you could have drawn up a better player and yet it it ended the way that it did so you know there I I think it speaks more to to how different Westbrook has become as a player over the last few years than anything else that's all fair I will also note that Westbrook only played in 46 games the year Durant won the MVP so his absence did, did help and with Westbrook, I am sure KD will never talk about this until until he retires, and even then he probably won't. That in, no, all you, in, you got to do is check an egg on Twitter for yeah. to get KD's. Opinion. Yeah, but you have to pick the right egg, and that's or probably a challenge. I, I don't yeah. have the intel in terms of which accounts are burners and which accounts are just stands. But anyway, I'm sure that Durant, as a perceptive basketball player, I mean, the reasons that he joined the Warriors were you know were, were numerous, but one of them was mm-hmm. just the egalitarian style of play. And so while it took Durant leaving for Russ to achieve peak Russ. I think mm-hmm. that a lot of those elements were in play and being held back by Durant being there and that he was perceptive enough to notice that. Mm-hmm. And so you get into that that kind of question of, well, I don't have any problem, you know, if, if Westbrook, if that's what he wants to do, uh, it, it's fr- a little bit frustrating to me just because I want every player to be the best version of themselves that they can be. I, I mm-hmm. want I want the best for everybody, even if it's a player that I think, which is not true of Westbrook, if I think it's somebody who I think isn't going to be very good. I'm always happy when a player outperforms their expectations. 
But there is also this kind of distillation about Westbrook that I do kind of perversely enjoy, which is that I think he could be a better player if he stopped taking some of the shots that are part of his game or if he was more active and aware and engaged defensively. But I think we're getting pretty close to the point where it's not necessarily fair to be mad about it anymore Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. there's a there's a parallel to a point here with mellow though mellow isn't as good right now as westbrook is and it's easier to tolerate imperfections on good players kobe late career is another good example of this Mm -hmm. but i don't know i I guess i'm kind of you could think of it as the stages of grief i think i'm (laughs) at the point with westbrook now where i'm at acceptance you know that that this is who he is and that it's very possible if especially if paul george leaves that OKC is going to be more of a curiosity than a relevant championship contender. But, you know, if that's if that's what Russ wants to be and they've had plenty of opportunities to do other things and mm-hmm. you know, if if that's how it turns out, I'm a little bit sad for OKC fans because they've been great supporters of it and they you know, it would be, it'd be wonderful for them to have a team that was a little bit better. But they've had a wonderful run, too. And it's going to get expensive with Russ going forward. And, you know, Stephen Adams is paid and all that kind of stuff. But I don't know. I guess I guess it, it, it's very weird for me to be accepting of somebody with Westbrook's flaws. And I don't know if that's because of my biases or uh-huh. whether that's just because I've changed the way I think about the league. You know, I think uh, I, I, I really agree with a lot of what you're saying there. And I think, you know, as soon as... It became clear that Russell Westbrook was not going to be part of any MVP arguments this year, or be talked about as a guy who's like, let's say, potentially better than uh, better than Steph Curry or something like that. Like a- after that, it was kind of like, okay, like I don't care, and it's not my bag. I think Westbrook is explosive, and he also completely killed Toronto this year when he was here, and it was an absolute joy to watch him in real life. He's just he's incredible, just like as an as an athlete. I just don't know how many guys in professional sports can even compare to that so i see the appeal of like really wanting to be a westbrook fan the triple doubles the pettiness the whole the whole persona it's on my bag but i get it and that's fine i can get the players that i like elsewhere and westbrook can do his thing so long as he's no longer ever part of an mvp discussion or being one of the best guy in the league at his position or anything like that until there are appreciable changes in his game. Like, that's kind of where the line is. As long as he's not part of those debates and we're not acting like this is more than performance art, then it's fine. Yeah, and I, I guess I'm a little bit dejected about where it might be going if George leaves. But well, I think the thing is, like, you know, if, if he does leave, like, that's... I think Oklahoma fans are kind of happy with as long as Westbrook keeps carrying them into the playoffs and keeps being the best show in town and like having this defiant streak and giving the team an identity. I don't think those things, those aren't things that you should be light on, especially for a younger franchise like Oklahoma that really after losing a guy like Kevin Durant, that could define them. And now that's not really the case. Like Russell Westbrook defines them and that's really big and his personality and his his style is a big part of that as well. So I think OKC fans probably will want to... Obviously, everybody's happier when their team is better. I'm not saying they wouldn't want to see a contender, but I don't know. It just seems like they're pretty content with the Westbrook show. As long as they're still good and making the playoffs and... And that, I think I think that's okay. What, if it gets to the point where they're on the fringes, or you know, he has to stay healthy, I mean that's going to be another key factor in this as they move forward. And so Westbrook, it is worth mentioning where this contract is going. So 
the big money really kicks in for the 1819 season because it was it was a designated veteran extension. So over the next four years, he will make 158 million. Then over the next five, because he has that player option for 46 and a half million dollars. So that's over over 200, which is really mm. incredible. And must be nice. Must be nice. Yeah, certainly. But <laughs> they'll they'll make it work. And I, I I wonder just kind of how they end up fitting into this because right. They, you know, this year, I think, due to injuries and, and just, I mean, Robertson being out certainly didn't help. They ended up, I would say, underperforming their talent level just a little bit. But mm-hmm. the West is going to be really strong next year in full health. I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll see if teams actually do stay healthy. And so there's going to be a lot to filter through. And especially if Paul George goes to the Lakers mm-hmm. and they get, like, let's say the Lakers get two guys. Well, then all of a sudden they're in the mix here. Oh, yeah, so, yeah. And yeah, I think the thing with Westbrook is that he's kind of a guy who will push his own the stuff that he likes to do as far as he needs to, but keeping keeping the team within striking distance. I think it, if it does get to that point, we'll just see him play like a better brand of basketball. It's a little bit more conducive to, to creating wins and a little bit more productive. And, and plus, he's never, at least not in the next couple of years, going to be the scapegoat because on next year's team, that scapegoat is going to be Mello because yeah, Mello is going to be making $28 million. Yeah, I love this idea that Mello, by the way, would ever walk away from his money. Like, I think like it's kind of like the Steve Nash thing where like everybody in the city is trying to convince him to do it. Like, well, Carmelo Anthony gutted the team that he got traded to so he could sign with them for bird rights to make more money. And, and really, in that, in that contract, it was even more about worse. getting an extra year. Getting an extra year that ended mm-hmm. up being a mistake. Because if he he was talking with you know guys drafted in his draft class, LeBron among them, basically saying, hey, man, you should be a free agent. You should get out in the class of 2010. That would be a really good thing for you. And Melo's just like, nah, I'm good. I'm going to get the maximum amount of money possible. He becomes a free agent. He gets the maximum amount of money possible and gets a no-trade clause. So... To me, the way that the way that Mello is not a member of the Thunder next year, because I don't really see anybody trading for him, would be theoretically if he. I guess that's technically he fails to exercise his ETO because an early term option, early termination option, you ends your contract anyway. So he is under that contract for next year, and then he goes what to Oklahoma City. <laughs> oh, like, like oh, that that's happened before, but I don't think it's going to happen again. It'd be that would be an amazing story though. <laughs> but but so then what I could see him doing is going to and this would actually be uh, actually probably talking to Presty at the beginning of July and saying okay maybe his agent t- is talking to other teams saying if you give me basically I'll give you X amount of money back if we arrange a buyout right now and then he mm-hmm. already has an agreement in place somewhere else to pay him that exact amount of money or more like that is the way that Carmelo Anthony is not a member of the Thunder next year if he gives them back mm-hmm. less money than yeah. he can get so that could be a certain and there could there could be a, a theoretically a case where that might be fine especially if let's say it's four to five billion dollars something in that range that money makes it easier to resign mm-hmm. Jeremy Grant or get under the tax or any number of things that yeah, I wonder what useful. I wonder what, te- what type of teams are out there that would like because I, I I feel like the season has become such a cautionary tale well, he's, he's old enough to play with LeBron 
So that could be a possibility. Yeah, but is LeBron like? I feel like LeBron's too smart to play with Melo at this point in his career. Maybe, maybe. Like, I don't know. Like, I mean, I know it's always been LeBron's sort of like white whale that he's chasing to play with all these guys. But I mean, look at them now. Like, really, gonna like start to would, try to would be the most, get this team with Dwayne Wade and Carmelo Anthony. Going it would be the most point. ludicrous thing in basketball if, after everything that's happened, <laughs> the banana boat reunites now. Like, it, like It'd be hilarious. It, because there was a time like. A year ago, where it looked to be a possibility, you could say, oh, maybe Chris Paul, if it didn't work out in Houston, he'd be looking to go back to L.A. with with all that kind of stuff. And it's like, well, now Wade and LeBron already didn't work, not because of their personalities, but just because, you know, at this stage in their careers, it didn't work. But Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know. Maybe maybe that's... I don't think it's on the table, but it'd be, be considered. And with Melo... Other than the money part, what does he want? Like, does he does he want to be? Because he's already said basically he won't come off the bench. So is he okay being the fifth I starter? I always wonder what that means. Like, I yeah. won't come off the bench because does that mean, I mean like he, he'll certain just point, he'll he'll just, just they won't start him and he'll just be there and be like right, yeah I'm like, good. is he just going to stand on the court as the sixth guy and not allow the game to start? <laughs> Like at some he just, point, he just, just kind of has to take pass. the bulls, he just bull be, by the horns, he just and, be, and just realize that like he's not going to to lose any PR points for getting into this spat with Carmelo Anthony right now. Like I think, I think he's a uh, he. He has a little bit more rain than either Mello realizes or or Billy himself realizes. Yeah, I mean, Mello did not have enough equity to me with the Thunder as an organization. You could argue that maybe players on that team who have who them have it themselves, and that can be kind of a transference of equity. But yeah, it's it's a really weird circumstance, and I yeah again I don't know what he wants. Maybe he would rather go back and be in a, be in a city where he's happy to live. I don't know. Maybe he had a good time mm-hmm. in OKC. I, I have no idea. But yeah, I mean, and also we're getting to the point. I thought we would be here with LeBron not this soon, but in a, in a couple of years. Maybe it's going to be longer than that. Of this class of of 2003 draft class, of these guys kind of seeing their basketball mortality and deciding what they want out of life. Because Wade, like, there's this question about maybe he's just going to retire. And it would be it would be bizarre to see somebody who can still contribute to an NBA team retire for quality of life mm-hmm. reasons. But it's it's absolutely possible. And so maybe Melo is there a year from now. I don't think he'll be there because I think you'd rather, you know, hey, somebody's going to pay me $5 million for my basketball, by all means. But as those players who were so definitive in basketball and at a time when basketball social media has become mm-hmm. such a thing, like these players dealing with the twilight of their careers is going to be so crazy because it's just, it's a different thing. This, you know, these guys are probably aren't going to get to write off in the sunset, like Nick Collison on their own terms. They're going to have a very different set of decisions to make. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it's going to be interesting. I think it's going to tell us a lot about who they are. And I think when you look at Mello and, and Wade, I think they, they probably approach this completely differently. I mean, I think Mello is, probably going to ring this thing dry i think he's gonna he's gonna play minimum contract after minimum contract just to see how much money he can make or at least up until the point that playing basketball no longer makes him the same amount of money as if he were to go out and 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 start a new venture but i think i think wade on the other hand is a guy who who sees his life as maybe more of a movie and uh has this idea of of who he is as a basketball player and uh and what he wants out of his life that's separate from from just money and he probably want he probably likes the sanctity of Miami and 
and being back there has uh, probably made him happier. It's better for his, his family life and everything as well. And just being able to ride off into the sunset as opposed to, and he's kind of, he kind of did that part of his career going to Chicago and Cleveland, like trying all these new things and like finding yourself in an awkward spot as a guy who, uh, who used to be very, very smooth and graceful and not really go through these weird, these weird positions where he's not the one in power or, and having control over his legacy and everything. So I think for him, he, he probably sees it a little bit differently. And I think he has a different legacy to it. I mean, I just don't know how much Mello has to, has to lose from, from being seen in all these different uniforms. Whereas I think with a guy like Wade, that calculation is probably different. While players now have a, a very clear idea of what retirement is like, I could also see a guy or two from that group try to come back afterwards. I don't think it's going to be Wade, but yeah. maybe they go, I thought this was going to be better and I'm going to miss it. You know, maybe valued Cleveland bench contributor Kendrick Perkins could be a model for this, but I, I, could, I could see that as well. I don't think it's going to happen with LeBron. I think LeBron knows oh. that when, I, I think LeBron also, there's a very real chance that he retires before he's done possibly contributing. Like he's just like, hey, I'm done. I've done all I need to oh, do. Oh, I think he would kind of have to, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, yeah, he could, he could just Because like, I think like the only, the only other option for him is like kind of going going out the way that Shaq did and like that he could kind of just because he's so physically dominant keep going and going but at a certain point like every, every all parties involved are just sort of like can we uh can we just hit the stop button on this one right now are we like we've we've everybody's seen enough let's let's try to remember you as you once were what would be really funny actually it was like let's say LeBron retires in like two years and then when his son's in the NBA tries to come back and make a run with the minimum that would be pretty funny yeah that would be crazy it'd be it'd be absolutely insane but I'm very intrigued by where this goes especially because the timing that all these guys are going to have big decisions to make at the same time you know Mm -hmm. this isn't this isn't the same as Kevin Durant really having it to himself in 2016 and I don't think any of the decisions this year are going to be as impactful as that one was because of where where Durant was in his career and where he chose to go but Mm -hmm. all of them in concert I think it's going to be um, I'm looking forward to it and then how all these other teams, I mean, this is really kind of going full circle with this conversation, how a series of these teams that had really strange seasons, how that led them to feel about where they're going. So Toronto is one. Portland is another one. I mean, Portland didn't even win their first round series. They didn't mm-hmm. even win a playoff game. So do they feel like getting the three seed and building around Damon CJ is good, or do they get a little bit antsy? And there are just so many teams that aren't going to have much flexibility in terms of signing gut players but have flexibility yeah. in terms of trading. And so mm-hmm. where do they go? Do, do they do that? And then you have these other teams where they have an opportunity, like the Bucks, you know, hiring their coach, or the Pelicans in terms of what they do with DeMarcus Cousins. It's it's a strange summer where some teams are constrained, some teams are wide open, but everybody has decisions to make. Yeah, yeah, it really is. And I mean, I think we're going to learn a lot about also what everybody thinks of the Warriors. I mean, I think if, maybe if you're a team like Portland, who I think... A, learn some things about the viability of two small guards together in the playoffs. A lesser extent, DeMar's a regular-sized guard. I think Toronto kind of went through the same thing. I think if you're just not... like The, the standards for athleticism have just skyrocketed. I think you just, uh, you know, DeMar was in the dunk contest. Uh, I think Dame's fairly athletic. He's very acrobatic. But you see the guys, they go up against LeBron James and uh, and Anthony Davis. And you're like, oh, OK, we're, we're operating on a different curve now. 
and Portland especially, I just can't, I think came up against a matchup that was that was horrible for them in ways that when you were watching it, you kind of wondered why you didn't see it coming. And I think a lot of these teams, like the decisions that they make, especially Portland because they're in the same conference, is gonna kind of say like, what does what do these teams think about the Warriors? Do they really want to make all these moves and? that could be marginal and, and get rid of guys that really mean a lot to their franchise and cities to try to become better. At a certain point, you kind of you look up the mountain, you're like, I, can, I, can I do this? Is it worth trying? Yeah, that's a really challenging question. And it will be in flux for, for a lot of these teams as we move into this different phase. And also, how do they see the Warriors in terms of aging? I mean, we I felt... They will be, you know, the expectation has to be that the Warriors will be worse every year than they are that year. And at the well, same I don't know because I mean I think you look at a guy like guy like Durant, he's better this year than he was last year, and I think you could very well make the case that he'll be better next year. Same with Clay. I think with Steph, it's kind of a it's always very dependent on his yeah. health. I think we've we've seen him at the best he's going to be just because it's so unlikely that his with all that we learned about his ankles that he'll ever be healthy again for, for a full season. But we I think you got two guys on that team that still haven't hit their ceilings. It's also true that the Warriors just don't care about the regular season anymore. So right, we, right. We, some of the some of the thing thoughts about them aging also are just it's apathy instead. You know, like Draymond right, had a worse Draymond, yeah. He had a worse yeah. year defensively, and so I was spending the whole season, you know, writing, you know, writing on every game for the Athletic, going, "Well, is he worse or is he just not caring?" And then all of a sudden, at the beginning of the Spurs series, and then especially in the New Orleans series, you go, "Oh no, he just he just didn't care." And, Do you ever feel like covering a team? Because I think we kind of want, go through this in 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 different but kind of relatable ways. Do you ever think about covering a team and seeing them on a day to day basis like that skews? the actual truth of what they are because you're seeing it day in and day out so you're not really able to remove yourself from the situation whereas like I can kind of look at the Warriors and say okay like they're just they're just coasting and they're the Warriors and they're going to be fine and maybe you could look at the Raptors and say okay but let's see it in the playoffs but when you you go to 41 games and you see it over and over again. At a certain point, you kind of it, it feels counterintuitive to not buy into the things that you're seeing right in front of you. You lose the forest and the trees, really. But it it seems when you're there, it seems like that should be the move. Yeah, it can be a really big problem. I've I hope that I'm better at it now than I used to be. Another part of that is if you for the people who cover bad teams, just seeing a team lose over and over again makes you think, oh, these guys suck. When it could mm-hmm. be that they're not good enough, maybe they'll improve with time, or just adding more talent is going to be, you know, that's going to transform them. That sort of thing can happen. And yeah, there there are certainly times where that's the case, and that's why I try to focus when possible, not always, but when possible on the elements of it that I think can be more honestly evaluated. So with mm-hmm. Steph, for example, as he's been coming back from this injury, it's been more, I haven't been focusing on whether the shots go in or, or even effort level. It's been the speed of his movement and mm-hmm. whether whether he's making it. Because that, if you focus on the more granular in that specific type of granular, sometimes you don't lose the force for the trees and it can, it can mm-hmm. actually work. But it's, it is incredibly hard to do that. And I'm not perfect at it. I don't, I don't think anybody is, but you're right that there is, there is a challenge to it. And I think also for me, something that's been very valuable is watching the entire league because mm-hmm. you get a lot more context because it's like, okay, well, so this is what the Warriors look like. And then, and also you, so, so then you watch the magic and mm-hmm. their struggles defensively and you're like, oh no, well they just suck. 
And then you go yeah. to another mm-hmm. team and you go, oh, well, they're not trying. So is it more like, is it more like what this team is doing, like Cleveland's defense, or is it personnel, or is it lack of coaching, lack of urgency? And so mm-hmm. you always have yeah, to I reconcile. Think I fell it. into it a little bit with Cleveland too, because I mm-hmm. think that's a, a team I think everybody watches a lot. You just you watch it over and over again. And you kind of just and, and we do it every year. It's like, it's like, you can't, they're, you they're can't just resist terrible. watching LeBron, and they're terrible. And then like you're just like I can't. There's a part you just like, you can't keep denying what your eyes are telling you at a certain point, despite the fact that it does happen every year. Yeah, it, it is a real challenge, and there are times when I, I'm sure that I get suckered in with it. And there also, you know, I think one element that does get easier with it is just that as long as you look at the overall context, like the kind of the high hybrid job that I have, is I find myself getting less suckered into when a guy has a couple good games being like, oh, well, he's great now. And that mm-hmm. is, I think, where people run into more problems sometimes than the other way, where it's like, oh, man, you know, this guy looks like a world beater. Or if it's a sample issue, you know, you get into the 41 game question of every time I watch X team, this player does well. That doesn't mm-hmm. necessarily mean they're good. That just means he does well in the games that you watch. Right. And yeah. there, there have been times when I had to reconcile that as well. And the other big teacher is just making a bunch of mistakes. I'm, yeah. I, I'm fortunate that a lot like of Like picking the, the rappers to go to the finals. Sure. All, all sorts of things. And yeah. I, I mean, I've talked pretty openly before about how getting LeBron wrong in 2010 changed the way I analyzed free agent decisions. Mm-hmm. And... It's weird to do that with LeBron because he does this in a completely different way than most other guys. But for whatever reason, failure is a much better instructor. And so you, you learn the lessons from that and, and that you have to, but you have to be ready to figure out why you got it wrong. And I think that's that. And and it's the same thing with teams. It's like, you Mm -hmm. know, with going back to the Raptors, it's like, okay, well, why did we lose to the Cavs? Sure. Some of it was failure to execute. So, I mean, the first step with that is almost always luck. Like, oh, you know, we, we're not going to miss 11 shots in a row. And then you get into, well, what do they do well that we can't counter? What do they do? And, And, and then eventually, hopefully you get to a point where you don't make the same mistake again. And really that's, the only in our like in what we do, I think that's really the only threshold that matters. As long as you're doing the diligence, is it's not going to be getting it right every time. That never that's never going to happen. But trying not to make the same mistake over and over again, right, is mm-hmm. is really the goal. I can't believe we've actually managed to take this back uh, full circle to the Raptors and the and their off season evaluation. It all comes back to the Raptors, but it does. but thank you so much for taking time. As always, a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks for having me. Thanks again to Sirat Sohi for taking the time to come on. I am such a big fan of her work and, of course, talking to her. And I'm also excited that because this podcast got delayed by a few days, that actually allows me to talk about her getting the position as a staff writer for SB Nation. I am so thrilled for her, and I'm also thrilled for SB Nation because they are getting one of my favorite feature writers in the entire business. And I'm so happy that that's working out for for both sides of that. And you can follow Sirat on Twitter at Damien. Trillard, D-A-M-I-A-N-T-R-I-L-L-A-R-D. And as expected, a lot going on in the NBA right now. Both conference finals are in full swing, of course. And then I'm cutting this at the end of a busy night that included the Cavs losing game two in Boston and the NBA draft lottery. Going to try to cover as much ground as possible in the next few weeks with Real Gem Radio as usual. And so happy to have you along along with that ride. If you have any feedback, good, bad, or indifferent, Danny LaRue, NBA at gmail.com is the way to get that to me. 
And if you take the time to write it, I will take the time to read it. I do not promise that I will respond, but I do promise that I will read it. And your feedback is incredibly important to me because that's how we make the show better. And if you want to support the show, there are a lot of different ways you can do it. You can leave a rating, leave a review in the podcast player of your choosing. It's great if it's Apple. They're still just massive in our industry. You can also subscribe, download every episode, particularly great with Real Jam Radio because it does not come out on a specific day every week. And the other just massive thing you can do, the most important, is to check out our sponsors. So for this episode, Bear Mattress, B-E-A-R Mattress.com. And the promo code there is POD100, P-O-D-100, the 100 because you get $100 off your mattress, whatever size you want to get. BetDSI, you can go to BetDSI.com, use the promo code REALGM, R-E-A-L-G-M, for up to $2,500 on your first deposit. Awesome. Simple Contacts, you can get $30 off your contacts at simplecontacts.com slash realgm. That's a URL, simplecontacts.com slash realgm. And then our friends at Hymns, you go to forhymns.com slash real. On this one, it's just R-E-A-L. And you can get a $5 trial month while supplies last. You can definitely check all those out going to be a lot of fun with Real Gym Radio going through this whole time. And for those of you who've been along for the ride for a long, longer, I appreciate you. And you know that this podcast does not stop. It is a 52 week a year podcast. And there's so much to go through in the off season, including doing the division capsules. So if you like this, if you like the, the tone and the way that I do it, great. It keeps on going. And if you don't, hopefully you can check out some of the other stuff I do. Still appreciate your listenership. And I have a bunch of new work coming out for The Athletic because my offseason previews are there. And then, of course, since the Warriors are still in the playoffs, my Warriors work is there as well. Real Jam, I wrote a piece about evaluating ball handlers. I have another one on defense that's coming out soon. And then I have, I'm going to do at least one more. I'm thinking about one in terms of film. It's hard to convey that one into into words. That's why I've been having trouble with it. But I will have that out at some point in the near term. And then I might have a fourth one, depending on how this goes. And of course, the Dunked On basketball podcast with Nate Duncan, that is a daily, so five times a week. And the Twitter NBA show where Nate and I do live commentary on games. We are doing that for basically every game that is not a Warriors home game for this run and did one for game two of Cavs Celtics, which was right before this. And we'll be doing one on Wednesday for game two of Rockets Warriors. So you can check that out as well. So thank you so much for listening. Take care and make it a great day. to go yes go travel go explore go find a new city go reconnect with friends go have fun that's why we created on go the trusted rapid covid19 self-test on go gives you accurate covid test results and peace of mind in just minutes so anywhere you go you know you'll know if you're covid19 free and you'll know you're protecting loved ones on go is readily available at letsongo.com amazon walgreens or walmart.com use promo code on go 15 for 15 off at letsongo.com today 
Global supply chain issues have made it more difficult than ever to source the parts you need to keep your heavy-duty truck running. That can lead to downtime and lost money. Fortunately, you have a trusted partner that can help keep your rig on the road and running. FindItParts.com is the nation's largest supplier of heavy-duty truck and trailer parts. In just a few clicks, you can access more than $3 billion worth of inventory, millions of part numbers, and all the top brands. Need a part fast? We offer overnight and expedited shipping. Save the time and frustration of calling around trying to find parts. FindItParts.com is your one-stop shopping source for all your heavy-duty truck needs, delivered straight to your doorstep. Use promo code PODCAST for 10% off your next purchase. That's FindItParts.com, promo code PODCAST, your trusted supplier for all heavy-duty truck and trailer parts.